Welcome back to the Downtown Den. I'm delighted to uh, introduce once again, actually, for his second visit in a few weeks, Paul Cheatham, who is the uh, owner, managing director of um, Sedulo. And uh, Sedulo, not only a fantastic uh, accountancy business advisory company that Downtown works closely with, um, they've been, I think, really helpful in terms of the briefing notes that they've been producing as the crisis has unfolded and the government have announced more and more business support measures. Uh, and, uh, you know, the good news is that Sedulo uh, are hopefully going to contribute to uh, a, a useful document that we're producing at the moment for all our members that you should be getting in your inboxes next week. The other great thing about Paul is he has an opinion. Uh, and he and I often, uh, during these conversations, talk politics, and we're going to do that again today. Uh, but before we get into uh, the government's strategy, and, and you and I, I think, have a slightly different uh, take on where we are at the moment in that respect, uh, the Chancellor made another announcement this week. Rishi Sunak is uh, talking about extending furloughing again, possibly until October, but most certainly until uh, the end of July. Um, so business support wise, mate, I think again, we probably would be on the same page. The government are doing everything they can to help business. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was a, uh, obviously it had to be timely for the uh, redundancies. Um, so he had to bring it out this week, but I thought it was exactly what we needed. I mean, I think from the government side, what they've done for businesses and the speed in which they've done it more to the point. Um, I think it's been brilliant. I, I, I think it's been brilliant in the circumstances. Yeah. And uh, my biggest criticism was always when he first announced the furlough, it was so, so in, incentivizing to take to uh, 80% and no ability to work. It's just so incentivizing to send people home. Yeah. And so if you was one of the ones where you didn't want to do that, you might have had that taken out of your own hands because I've got clients who said, I'd love to carry on, but my suppliers said, sod it, you know, I can get all my staff paid for 80%. So why well, want to do that? So I can't get my supplies. And I think that was always my only issue really from the, from the, what, how they've helped businesses so far. It was actually when we restart this, if, if, why not restart at 40% capacity or 30% capacity? Why start from a standing start? And I think he's addressed that yesterday. You know, he's kept furlough as it is to the end of July, says you can't work, but it's pretty clear. We haven't got the information yet that following um, in, in August, September, October, there's going to be that midway house where if you're a hotel, you're going to open, you're not going to be at 80% occupancy, are you? So there's going to be that midway house now, I think that helps particularly sectors like yours, actually, that, you know, the leisure, hospitality, events, um, sports, those sectors are now going to be able back. And effectively, it's going to turn into more of a, a subsidy, isn't it, I think, as opposed to a furlough scheme. And I thought that was bang on. Yeah, I agree with uh, your analysis there. I mean, I think both you and I said last time we were a bit concerned just in terms of the mental impact that it was going to have on people. Uh, and also what it says to businesses about you know, the best way of getting through this crisis. And as you say, you know, I know a lot of business owners who have said they'd have loved to have kept staff on part-time, for example, but it just wasn't an option. You either 
lay them off uh, temporarily uh, in, in their entirety and don't let them do anything or you don't get help and support from the government. So it looks as though he's moving in the right direction on that. Uh, and I think, you know, Rishi Sunak has had uh, a very good um, eight, nine, ten weeks. I think his uh, reputation as Chancellor has been enhanced. I think when he took the job, he was seen a little bit as a patsy for Boris. Uh, but I think he's been anything but. He's been his own man. He's come up with some very innovative ways of, of supporting business, as you've outlined, Paul. Uh, and I think, as I say, reputationally, He's not done himself any harm at all. That, I don't think, can be said of the Prime Minister. Um, so I know yeah. this is where you and I might differ slightly. Um, and, and so on Sunday, I was very critical of Boris's speech uh, to the nation. Uh, and for two reasons. Firstly, I felt that it was built up to be this massive game-changer of a speech. And, and, you know, what I know, having been in politics for a long time now, is that headlines don't appear in broadsheets like the Daily Express, uh, sorry, the Daily Telegraph, uh, the Times, uh, even the Guardian, if they haven't had inside information from government sources. So it's no good blaming the press. Oh, they built it up, they built it up, it was now... They didn't build it up. They were told this is going to be some sort of defining statement on behalf of the government to the Prime Minister. And I think that the problem that you then have on the Sunday is that Boris doesn't say very much, actually. Um, now, whereas I can potentially agree with a point that suggests, well, if people apply common sense, then everything he said in that half hour is okay. I can half get that, but equally, if we thought the common sense was something that a hundred percent of British people had in abundance, uh. <laughs> then we wouldn't have speed limits on motorways. We wouldn't have half of the rules and regulations that we have in place, uh, because unfortunately, what's common sense to me might not be common sense to you, Paul. And yeah. I felt once again and it's not the first time the prime minister's done this he left more questions than answers he left a lot of ambiguity and he left an awful lot for self-interpretation and i think that's dangerous at the moment and then i think to add insult to injury for me was i get up on monday morning and i listened to six different conservative mps some of whom are in the cabinet all giving their different interpretations of what the Prime Minister had said, to the point where you've got Philip Schofield, Philip Schofield, going almost epileptic because he's saying this doesn't make any sense. So for me, Paul, it, it, he'd have been better saying nothing on Sunday than saying what he did. That was my view of it. And so it's it's funny because I kind of agree with you, and 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 the one thing I hugely disagree with you on here, I guess, is your final sentence, which it'd have been better saying nothing. So I think the first thing is 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 I'm not a Boris fan. You know, I didn't vote in the general election, as you know, because I didn't think any of them was a a, a, a as a leader. 
And if I'm honest, I've seen, you know, I've softened a little bit to his bumbly ways, I guess. That's a, that's, if that's a compliment, then, then it's a compliment. But I guess I've, so, I've gone from a, a sort of fairly mild, it's gone from a, quite a bad dislike or certainly a mild dislike to uh, just a dislike. So I won't go, it's not moved too far, my barometer, I guess. Um, but I think what, I, what I've been dreading, and I'll come into how, what, what's been talked about since, which I think is an over-exaggeration, is what I've been dreading was um, no change in the mindset. Because our biggest danger right now, if you ask me, is, is nothing but the mindset of what the, the British public think about what's going to happen. And because if you, if I forget who said it, it was Henry Ford that said, if you think you can do it or you think you can't, then you're probably right. You're probably right on both occasions. So we are now governed or determined by the mood of the country. We're determined by the confidence of the consumer, the confidence of the British public. So there was one thing I had an expectation that I really wanted to get out of Sunday and I got it. And what I got was, Let's move away from stay at home and let's make the first mindset change to let's start going outside. Because then, now, the, uh, as soon as he does that, there's always going to be this, this huge blow up of, you know, there was a blow up when he said, let's all fucking lock down. He was like, do you mean you're locking me down? Do you mean you're telling me what to do with my human rights and me, this, that and the other? And, 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 you know, now it's gone the other way. And so he was damned if he did, damned if he didn't. But in my eyes, for the good of the economy, he just had to. And so for me, that was my overriding satisfaction, if you like, from, um, from Sunday, that he made the first step without really doing anything, but to change the mindset of the public. Because I think everything from now on in is going to be how the public decide to take this information and continue to spend or continue to go work or continue to live in fear. And if we keep continuing to live in fear, Frank, then I think that's the biggest, it will, will self-fulfill a huge issue further down the line. Because we might have, and it's a sad statistic, 30,000 deaths or 40,000 deaths. But if we're not careful, there'll be 4 million people in poverty and 400,000 deaths or whatever it is. I don't know those stats, but, but my gut feel is telling me that if we don't start to pull around if we don't start to be brave, if we don't start to unfold away from this fear, I'm sure we'll talk more about the economy in a second, the economy's fucked. And yet, if we actually start now to be brave, I feel like we can have more of a V-shaped economy than a downhill fucking slope, ski slope that we might end up on. Yeah. And, um, and so that was all I was looking for, mate. And I kind of got it. And then what happened was the backlash. So I, don't get me wrong. Why on earth would you do it at seven o'clock on a Sunday? I mean, you might as well have done that speech on a Thursday. Right. So I can't argue with that. You know, I can't argue this, this ambiguity, but I think that Sharon sat in Barnsley was expecting him to say that Sharon, who's 27, who's got two kids and employed, this is what it looks like for you. And Bob, who's in Skipton, you know, who's got three <laughs> grandkids, this is what it looks like to you. Because even today, mate, you've got Piers Morgan and people like this saying today, and these tweets all over the place, I can't believe I can go and walk around the house to go and buy, uh, to buy a property 
but I can't go to my mum's. Mm. And I think, your mum's fucking, how old's your mum? Well, she's 78. Are you fucking stupid? <laughs> Are you stupid? She's vulnerable. Why the fuck would you want to go around? I'm going to have to stop swearing in a minute, but why on earth would you want to go around to your mum's who's 78? By the way, if you want to go and buy the house over the road, Frank, and you've got an appointment tomorrow at 10 o'clock, you don't walk around it hugging and kissing the owner. She's got to leave. Right? So if you want to go and walk around your mum's house or your dad's house, go and walk around it, but they'll have to go be on the golf course. Why do you want to do that? I don't know. So my, my issue, I guess, was what I needed, I felt we got, right, from the mindset. The rest of it, if I'm honest, kind of diminished to me was all that was periphery stuff. It's important, don't get me wrong, you know, and you can really read into, I spoke with a lawyer the next day and he said, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm just going to be sensible. You know, I'm going to give everybody a plan. I'm going to wait for the 50-page documents are come, going to come out. And then they'll update you the day after and the day after and the day after. And there's a massive argument to say, if it was me, I would have had that prepared. I would have said an hour ago on our site, we released a 50-page document. I wouldn't have released it the next bloody day. What's the point? It must have been ready. So I don't disagree with you at all on the way it's been done actually has been the way it's been done all the way through yeah yeah because what happened was what happened was we let cheltenham go ahead mm. and if it was up to him or the government the premier league would have gone ahead on the saturday yeah. it was the it was it was i guess it was the society as a whole that made decisions for us to go into lockdown mm. so have a guess what he then made it look like it was his decision for us to go into lockdown yeah. We didn't start coming out of lockdown. And way before he said you're coming out of lockdown, Timpson says he's opening 40 stores. B&Q's got queues a mile long. McDonald's say they're opening all the drive throughs The list goes on. Everybody had decided. We, um, Taylor Wimpy had said we're going back to construction. So all he did on Sunday was effectively make it look like it was his decision. <laughs> so one thing I cannot argue with you, with you at all on is the indecisiveness of our government has been shocking. Yeah. Other, than, other than the decisiveness of what they're gonna do for the economy, yeah. which I think has been quite straightforward, backed up by fact, and delivered timely. I think that's the point. I mean, there's, there's a couple of things I'd say on, I mean, I, I think your take on his comments from Sunday night are different from mine, you see, because I'm totally with you now in terms of us having to radically change the narrative from safety first to let's start to get back to normal. And, and that was where my disappointment lay, actually, Paul, because I don't think he turned the dial far enough. Okay. I think he said, if you're in construction, you're in manufacturing, go back to work. If you can work from home, try and work from home. We're not sending kids back to school. Oh, and by the way, don't get on public transport. And then there's a 50-page document out tomorrow that'll tell you a bit more. So again, as a small business, I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. Yeah. You would have all of those ducks lined up. And it's it struck me as a government that was being very reactive rather than proactive to events. And the points that you've just made I think back that up, you know, so the lockdown came too late. My fear now is the return is going to be too late.
because he's listening to that populist message rather than actually following what we know is needed and required if the, the economy isn't going to go to hell in a handcart. Mm. And, and I think if you look at the difference of approach from Sunak to Johnson, it's marked, isn't it? Because when Sunak makes a statement, he makes the statement, he gets questions asked, he can answer them immediately. He's got all yeah. that detail. He's a detailed man. And I think the problem with a prime minister like Boris is that, and Cameron was like this, is the greater front and stuff and the decent to coming with big ideas and sound bites. But when it comes to crises where you actually have to have a handle on the detail, they're not good at that. They don't like doing it and therefore they don't do it. And I think Boris has been showing up in that regard. And the reason I said that the Sunday speech wasn't helpful wasn't because I want us to continue this lockdown mentality because I think it's already started to get inbred into people's heads. And, and we'll, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about that in a second. But for me, if you're going to say on the Wednesday, Thursday, trail this speech, then it's got to be a big mindset change. He should have been coming out and saying, right, guys, I've got a choice now as your prime minister. I can either continue the lockdown and in the short term that might protect some vulnerable people. It might save some, some lives, but listen, the consequences in the long term are, and they've got that data available to them, Paul, as you rightly say, 4 million people into poverty, 3 million, 4 million people unemployed. So the choice isn't as simple is it may seem on the face of it. And the final point I'll make, Paul, before I let you come back in, is what happened immediately after his speech is exactly what I think he left himself wide open for. Trade unions and people who are quite comfortable in the situation that we're in at the moment were able to jump on a bit of a bandwagon and say, oh, well, it's ambiguous. There's still too many uncertainties out there. We ain't going back to work. So that's why I think he'd have been better saying nothing. Yeah, it's um, it's funny what you just said. It's and um, the two points I'm going to make to it. The first one is the detail. I I remember I used to be on the board of a listed company in in Sweden in Stockholm, and we used to go over and we had to present every quarter to the shareholders, and uh, they would ask whatever questions. And it wasn't, it wasn't huge, but, you know, we might have 100 people in a room asking questions. And I was obsessed, obsessed with being able to stand. And I was a chief uh, finance officer. We had a CEO. Every time the CEO would say something, there'd be a question. And he'd look at me. Yeah. And I used to think, I don't know how you get on this flight with me to Stockholm to give this presentation. And I've got the kind of, the confidence that I wouldn't have to stand up and say something with such passion and, you know, you know, stamp banging of fists and all this kind of stuff without the ability, Frank, for you to come back to me and say, but what about this? And we go, well, this statistic is da, 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 da. Yeah. 
And, and the one thing about him is, no disrespect, well, let's not get into Brexit because that's another situation. But, you, you know, he's been the same throughout that. Yeah. His, his life, the way I look at him, his political life is he gets by on bluster. Yeah. And um, he's trying that now. Mm. And it's, he's, he's going to come unstuck by the looks of it against the Labour Party, mm. having somebody in opposition. I've not seen much of him, very little of him, but the snippets of what I've seen, he's a detailed person. Yeah. And he should be able to unpick yeah. um, inside and out yeah. um, Boris Johnson. Yeah. Now, the reality of it is, is one of the things I thought was really bad about Jeremy Corbyn, sorry, we're going all over the place here, but I thought the one thing Johnson might have, but he's not got enough of him, is actually, if you're just a headline guy, which I thought Corbyn was, by the way, for his ideals, behind them then, you need smart, switched-on, detailed people. And I think Johnson's got a mixture of that in his background team, which might just carry him through yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Because he personally is a bluffer. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I totally agree with you on the detail side. And, and it's interesting because it always makes me go back to the nervousness I had before I just give a presentation to 100 people. But... You know, these were these were institutions and investors that would ask us what on earth's going on in, in Paris or what on earth was going on in different subsidiaries we had. And I knew the detail inside and out. I was obsessed with it. And it's a shame he's not, because the best leaders have got both, of course. Yeah. They're yeah. able to show charisma and a bit of bluster when it needs to be, but they're also able to back it up. So that was one thing. And I think the other on the, the other thing that I was thinking about when you spoke was what I do think's disappointing and opportunist is people like Scott, the Scottish, the Welsh, the Northern Irish. They've come out and pretty much, if you ask me, just wiped their hands. Mm. They've pretty much thought what she calls sturgeon. She's kind of gone, now, Frank, uh, Scotland needs to get out of it, just the same as we do. Mm. And we've got to start somewhere. And I thought it was very poor from, I felt we was all in this together a bit sort of two months ago. And that doesn't mean you can't criticise. Don't get me wrong. But I thought it was very telling how people are trying to use this as an opportunist moment, like the Scottish government, to come out and say, we're not there yet with our flattened curve. You know, they're smaller than Sweden, right? And Sweden never locked down at all. So if somebody ever says to me about Sweden and why we shouldn't lock down, I'd go, well, hold on a minute. We've got 70 million, they've got 10. Let's be honest. I don't know what the population of Scotland is, probably less than Sweden, right? So there's an argument they should never bloody lock down in the first place, <laughs> if you want to look at it like that. Let alone now using this as an opportunist moment to, I don't know, put a stake in the ground. So, yeah, no, I don't, so don't disagree with anything, you know. I haven't gone from uh, pretty, pretty um, high... kind of get from him what I expect. Um, but I do think now's not the time to be opportunist in the situation. I think if you sum um, it like the Labour leader, I think it's great to sort of unpick what he's doing and question it with the right motives. Might talk about Piers Morgan in a bit, who's <laughs> completely got the wrong motives. If you, if you ask me even though some of the questions he asked are correct. 
The way he's asking him so far, it feels like it's not opportunist. He just wants to get the answers. And I think that will, he's, he, he's going to um, uh, go through the polls, you know, in terms of people appreciating the way he's handling the situation right now. And he's probably Boris Johnson's worst, yeah. worst nightmare. Yeah, I, I think you're right on Keir Starmer. Of course, former barrister, um, he's going to be good on detail, isn't he? He's, that's how he's made his living. And that's, uh, I, I think you're right. I think he probably is Boris's worst nightmare. I think, you know, in normal circumstances, Boris' style uh, is okay. Um, because you're able to, as you've rightly said there, Paul, you know, you have people that you can hand those sort of awkward questions and awkward moments off to. But of course, in the situation we're in today, uh, you need a leader who is the master of all they survey. Uh, and I, I'm not convinced that Boris is that. So we'll see, you know, we'll see if he can change gear and if he can pick up. But, you know, I'll go back to this point that I think we do absolutely agree on, which is we've got to move that dial now to a mindset of let's start getting back into work and getting the economy moving again. And, you know, I had a question from somebody uh, a couple of days ago about, you know, well, what measures do you need to have in place in the workplace to ensure that we can all go back into the office safely and, and all that sort of thing? And listen, I get why we've, we've got to look at that. And of course, that'll all be done uh, before people go back into their office spaces. That is, as you would say, Paul, and I would say, well, that's just common sense. But the point I did make to the, to the person who asked that was, well, the one thing that we can't guarantee is that on your way into work, you won't be involved in a car accident. Or on your way into work, you won't get it by a bus. Or on your way into work, something else might happen where you get into harm's way because we've never been able to guarantee that. And I think it's almost got to the point now, mate, where people are expecting a risk-free environment, which has never yeah. existed in the history of mankind. So, you know, for me now, as I say, I want to see that dramatic change of the dial. And again, in terms of the Chancellor, I do wonder, had he said, I understand and appreciate and support what he has said, but had he said, well, by the end of July, guys, furlough's over. I wonder what the polls would be saying about people not going back to work then. Because, uh, again, it, it's it, it, an uncomfortable truth, this, but there's a lot of people at the moment who are sat at home getting 80% thinking, very nice, keep paying me. I'm quite happy to do this. Now, it might be a minority, but they're a vocal minority. They're the people who do take to social media, who do get onto the phone-ins and all that other stuff uh, that influences and informs uh, weak leaderships who don't have a plan of their own and a populist government, which is what I think we've got at the moment. So for me, mate, the mindset is the thing. We've got to start to change the narrative and we have to start to talk about the risks of a continued lockdown rather than simply the risks of coming out of it.
you're back in again now. Yeah, yeah you're back sorry in. Sorry about that, you, mate. You, you froze just. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you, yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's. Um, I, I totally agree with you on. I t- totally agree with you on that. Now, if you look at what's happened in the last. I believe will happen if we is that the 350 sorry mate I got kicked off there no worries um, do you want me to start that again please I'll start that again yeah. I think you've made a great point about mindset um, there's this idea that we uh, and, and there's lots of headlines at the moment about a recession. If you look at like the 2008 recession, what actually happened was all the banks, the commercial banks, pulled money out of the economy. That's what happened. All the loans defaulted and they pulled money out of the economy. What the government have just said is they're going to put 330, 350 billion this year into the economy. That's the total opposite of what happened in 2008, 2009. So we, the reality of it is, is, so long as we keep lockdown, and this is the point you're making, if we can limit the time of lockdown, we shouldn't enter a recession. Because we've not only got all the amount of money we've, we've not been spending at home because we've been sat at home, not being able to spend our money sat in our bank account that we can now spend. That's come from the centralised government, the centralised bank. Yeah. So in reality... We absolutely should have, as it stands today, a V-shape. We might have been down 2 or 3%. I think they just said we were down 2%. 2%, yeah. Uh, and if you're not careful, the, 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 the media will start reporting that as 8% because they'll start annualising it, yeah. right, making it look a lot worse than what it is. Stevens is what Michael is. So this mindset right now is absolutely crucial because so long as, and I'm saying this as a fact, I've got two and a half thousand clients from every sector you can think of. So I'm not an economist and I don't claim to be one, but my gut feel is based on having speaking to two and a half thousand people and understanding where their business and their confidence is at. And right now their confidence is okay. Their confidence is okay. The longer this goes on, the less that goes from very good to okay to, and, and then the more likely other recession. So it's absolutely vital, if you ask me now, that after July, I think we've got until July and the little things about being opening cafes and all those little things, I saw as a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. That was the kind of light that I needed to see. Um, as long as all the business and, and, and business leaders and employers see that, we're still going to have this kind of ability to rebound quick. And as I keep saying, we don't just rebound quick. We rebound quick with more fuel than what we had because you have an extra 350 billion. By the way, I think globally it's $8 trillion has gone into the market. There's $4 million trillion in the US alone. So that has got to fight. It doesn't disappear, that Frank, does it, outside of lockdown? It has to find itself somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I think that we 
could see a huge resurgence if we come out of lockdown pretty quickly. The longer we leave it, the less likely, the less confidence, the more businesses that will go under, the more unemployment there will be, and the more difficult that will be. And the final thing I'm going to say on that is I think you made a fairly reasonable questions. It's asking some decent questions. Nobody's going on and giving factual answers along the lines of what we've just said. Now, I should be able to say to you, Frank, we've got to come out because even though we're going to have 300 deaths for the next 18 months till we, a day till we get a vaccine, it's going to be 3,000 deaths via, you know, cancer, via mental health issues, via, you know, all the other, all the other things people are vulnerable to. You know, people keep saying about the vulnerable and my mum and dad are vulnerable. So I'm saying, mum and dad, you stay in. You don't fucking partake in this. Just stay in because you're vulnerable. Yeah. But by the way, you can't say that Dorothy over the road or, 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 or I'll come up with a trendier name because she's younger, Dorothy. She could be vulnerable to, you know, she could be vulnerable to mental health. She could be vulnerable to, you know, overeating. She could be vulnerable to obesity, being in the house or whatever it is. Everybody's got different vulnerabilities and we can't just focus on the health and the vulnerability of one thing. Now we've got the NHS, which for me was always a thing. I think we're at 40% capacity now. One in five beds in ICU uh, on, the on the charts yesterday were uh, 22%, one in five, were uh, by a COVID. So the other 78%, mate, are non-COVID, yeah. right? So just as you said before, people are going, well, you're on a train. You know, you could catch coronavirus. You're on a train, you could have a fucking heart attack. There's no guarantee when you leave the house, you're going to get back in it safely. Um, and I'm not saying that with any sort of me ill-meaning of people who have lost someone or anything like that. That's not where I'm coming from, from this. But there does become a point where more people have got the chance of losing more people and more loved ones until until they find that medium. Now, they're not really talking about that medium at the moment, and they need to back it up with stats like you just said and the detail, because that is what's going to give the, the, the consumer, the public, the confidence to gain levels of normality, and that's going to fire the, the, the okay confidence that I think still sits amongst my cross-section of clients. Yeah, I, I would totally agree, Paul. I've um, you know been battling with myself in a sense this week because... Um, I want to go out big time now and start calling for a shift in that dial, as I describe. Uh, and I've, you know, started to sort of formulate some ideas in the head. And you're always conscious of the fact that, you know, people have lost loved ones. And there will be people out there who genuinely have got fears for their own safety. And of course, fears for the families then, you know, if I go out, will I be taking something back into the household? Um, so, you know, it's not as if I'm insensitive to all of those things. Uh, and you know me well enough, Paul, to know my politics it is about society and yeah. it's about giving back. Uh, but again, the point I've made to those people who are thinking that we can just sit here for six months doing nothing is that if it gets to that stage, 
you won't have an NHS, you won't have free schooling, you won't have access to care because we won't have an economy or a tax base that can support it. And I think that's where we've got to start. As I say, I keep using the phrase, but I think it's right, shifting the dial. You use the phrase, shift the mindset. Either way, it needs to be done. Listen, I'm aware that the connection's not been as great today, and I think it's because uh, my kids are off watching bloody Netflix or something instead <laughs> of doing their, their own work. Um, but I know that you've got, uh, and rightly, uh, a bit of a bee in your bonnet over uh, one or two personalities who um, appears to you, and I think I'd have to agree with you, uh, are using the crisis almost to, to enhance their own sort of personality and, and their own reputation. Uh, I think you mentioned him before, Piers Morgan. He's not the only one, but he's probably the most high profile of those people who may be making relevant points, but are not necessarily making them in the right sort of way. They're not constructive, are they, in their approach? It's that opportunist that I said before, isn't it? I think Sturgeon's been opportunist, and I think people like Piers Morgan has. And as I say, there's, there's a lot of what he's saying um, is, makes sense, and it's okay. But it's the way he's saying it and the way he's... I mean, uh, we, uh, his tweet yesterday was 627 deaths. And he actually, it was almost like a glorification of the amount of deaths. Mm. It almost came across that he's glad there was at such a high level to the point where they back up, you know, it, that, that they back up what he's been saying. And he was a bit like that with the test kits. You know, I, I was laughing in a way. Of course, they, you know, the way he did it. I think they've only hit it on that one day, haven't they? They've never <laughs> hit it since. They're all lost in the post, aren't they? Okay. But, um, <laughs> but I kind of gave, I, get, I, let, I, let, I kind of in my head, I let the, the um, Hancock take, I have one. For the team there, because I just the way he was glorifying us not getting the test kits out. Um, it's not the way to go, and everything is about confidence. You know, they're talking this morning on the uh, on the news about how on earth are we going to pay for this? Three hundred and fifty billion. How are we going to pay for it? And I tell you, what, we're going to have to pay for it by keeping the wheels on the first before we even pay for that. We've got to keep the wheels on the road. You know, we've got to keep the ship still. We've got to keep. Um, the confidence of the public to go about their duties as normalised as they can in order for business to continue as normalised as it, as it can. And, and, and we've all got to work together on that. You know, that, everybody's got to work together. And I'm not surprised in a way that the, the government are saying we're not going on um, Good Morning Britain <laughs> because... because he goes on, he doesn't let them speak. Yeah. You know, they, they barely get a, a word in edgeways. It's got to the point where the, the lady sat next to him, and I'm not being disrespectful to her there, but she doesn't get a word in, so I've forgotten her name. I think it's Susanna or something. Susanna, um, yeah. yeah. yeah she, she gets, she, she's just become his uh, number one fan, and he's coming across <laughs> as narcissistic. I think he's come across as narcissistic, and I've unfollowed him. Whereas I used to say, 50% I totally agree with him on, 50% I really disagree with him on. He's that kind of bloke. Um, but but I think he's gone too far. And I think it's about everybody now. Um, everybody's got to pull together. And um, and yes, that's the question. Because, you know, you can't be allowed to get away with stupid stuff. Boris is always going to slip up. You know, it's, it's just, it's in his nature. He's not going to be that guy that knows the detail to answer the bloody question. Uh, and as I say, 
you know, when we get to a proper um, Prime Minister's question time, he's just going to, you know, when that kind of gets back in full swing, if you like, I can just see it being a daily grind for him yeah. against a barrister who's just going to pick him to pieces bit by bit, which is great, Frank, whether you're a Tory or a Labour, which is fantastic, isn't it? Because let's be honest, what we haven't had, I don't think we've had on any side somebody electable. Yeah. And, um, you know, now it seems like we're going to have competition, mm. which is better for us all, whether yeah. whichever side of the fence you want to sit on, and I can sit on both. Um, so, yeah, those people that are just trying to, to make headlines or, like I say, even people who've got no influence, but they're putting stupid stuff on today about why they can't. You know, they're saying things like, why should teachers be back in school? <laughs> and, and kids back in school, and I can't go, but, I, but the kids can't go and see the grandparents. And I think people are not this stupid, surely. <laughs> you know, you look at, seriously, but this is where we're at, mate, isn't it? But if you look at the children at school, no touch ward, and, and appallingly and tragically, there's been the odd few cases of children dying, which is the worst type of tragedy, if you ask me. So, but if you look at the number of them, it is very few and far between. So why not get kids back at school? We've got the data... I, I would suggest to say it's not very harmful for children to so get them back at school. But the opportunist in people is going, oh, you've got, you know, you're allowing a teacher to go back to school, but and little Johnny can go into school with 30, 30 kids, but they can't go and see their 87 year old grandma, you know, who's, who's got diabetes. And it's crazy. And I feel like we've got to move away from this, Frank, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep us in this mindset of fear. And that, that is our biggest danger, I think, right now. As we both said, we're not taking anything away from loved ones who died and being insensitive. But we don't want 37,000 to be 337,000 because the aftermath of not getting this right leads to poverty and, and different vulnerabilities and illnesses that are generally in society. Yeah, and, and you know, on a, on a note of obviously uh, positivity in some respects because we're looking to stay positive and get the government to be a bit more positive about back getting back to normal if we can put it that way and it will be a, a different type of normal um, but the final point I just want to pick up on there Paul and you mentioned children uh, I would say young people generally um, are the people who are really going to be hit by this if we're not careful because uh, they are um, the least likely to pick up the virus um they are at a time in the life where you know you and i will have enjoyed through our teens and in our 20s uh and even into your early 30s and if you like me uh later than that social you know the social activity the getting out and about the meeting your mates that's part of you growing up that's part of you becoming the man or woman that you're going to be as you enter into, you know, your mid twenties, your thirties and so on and so forth. And a lot of these people have already been through quite a bit already, you know, so you had the crash in 2008, you've got tuition fees. That was something that I never had to pay. Uh, if I'd have wanted to go into university, my generation didn't have to pay. You've had Brexit and all the uncertainty around that. You come out of that thinking, well, at least we're going somewhere now. And now they've got this. So for me, again, there's a big 
question to be asked of who is this positive for this lockdown? Because it's certainly not for people who are aged between five and 35. You might even say yeah. 45, because I think the death rate and even the infection rate amongst people below the age of 50 is very, very low, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, every time I've done a webinar um, of any sort where it's a live one, I've always had questions from graduates saying, after this, I'm going to get a job. Yeah. You know, what's the likelihood of me getting a job after this? And you take yourself back to those, even when you first started a job, you're in your early 20s. What you really live for is the weekend, yeah. don't you? Yeah. You live for the weekend. Now, I'm 41, 42 soon. I've got three kids. I've got a back garden and I've got my missus. Yeah. You know, but if you're, if you're 23 and single, if you're 23 and you live in your apartment on your own, or, or you're 27, you're a single parent of two and you're on the 18th floor of a block of flats, and we've just had, you know, seven weeks of sunshine and the two kids, you know, and, and they're just the general ones. Like my, uh, my mother-in-law, she spends her time in courts working on um, child abuse cases. And children have been, they're on halt, so they know full well there's child abuse going on but the courts are shut so they've just had to effectively go back to the home they're getting abused at so that's at that scale and just at a normal day-to-day -day scale if you're 23 you want to go out you want to go out with your mates you want to you want to meet guys or girls or whatever you want to do you want to put in a shift and do you know and, and make your way in life as like you know an, an emphatic employee and gain your career and and that we're not even talked about the ones who are in fifth year and not even going to get any bloody exam results. Uh, yeah. It's so, you know, it, it's a crazy scenario right now. And the sooner we get out of it, the better. We can't get out of it any later than what we can. I don't know what the day is we have to come out of it. It might have been two months ago. It might be in two months. But we can't be a day later, Frank, no. than the minute we can because this is detrimental and like i say and i've met i've said this before on social i know there's vulnerable people to covid but there's vulnerability to an, an old amalgamation of different illnesses diseases and so on and we can't get out of this a day later than we can that's the key well that's always great talking to you mate always great to get some uh, frank and honest opinions